Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, where you can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. Today I am not joined with Trevor, aka Sunshine Bender, for he is having some computer issues. So technical difficulties there on his end, not able to join me, but should be back next week for sure. And it may, his technical difficulties may impact the Packers Trilogy podcast, so if you listen to that and you're wondering why we haven't had an episode out, it's because, well, as we were trying to record today, turns out wasn't recording, and that was very frustrating after <laughs> after we had a nice discussion about the Packers. But we are here to talk the Brewers today, uh, as always, and we'll talk a little bit about Keston Hira and what to expect out of him in year number two. And we'll just do a little recap of Brewers on Deck, which took place today as I'm recording this on January 26th. And then we'll cover cover a little bit of news regarding Luis Urias and then the addition of Mike Morin that happened later last week. Starting with Keston here, I just wanted to do, I did a little piece on him for reviewing the Brew and just really kind of talking about regression in your sophomore year and what are some important statistics to look for and what are some ways the league might adjust to him and I just wanted to touch on it because we're obviously expecting great things out of Keston Hira. (laughs) I mean we obviously have Christian Yelich who's a phenomenal hitter and if Hira can repeat what he did last year that's quite the dynamic duo that other teams will have to work around so we by no means want a regression But when you take a look at some of the stats, you have to think with him there's going to be a regression, in quotations there, to the mean. And I think the biggest question is, what is he or his mean? Like, what what are average stats for him? And at this point in his MLB career, we just don't know because he put up some crazy high numbers last year that likely aren't sustainable over an entire season. So, yeah, they're going to go down, those numbers. It's just a matter of how far they're going to... You go, you know, regress down towards more like a normal player, league average type, or are they going to stay elevated to like good to great player status? It'll just be kind of interesting to see what he can do throughout a year. But one thing I wanted to look at was BABIP, which is <laughs> batting average uh, on balls in play, which is just really cool to say. So obviously, it's what it means is exactly what it's described as, and. The, the important thing about the stat is there's a little bit of luck to it, right? Like, every time you put the ball in play, it's, you know, you can get bloopers that count as a hit. You can hit the ball super hard. You can, you know, be playing against not as great of a defense or against a shift or things like that. So 
typically with Babip, if you get you know the good hitters, you hit around 350 when you put balls in play. So obviously, like hitting the ball hard helps you have generally a higher Babip unless you're unlucky. So stats like exit velocity and hard hit percentage play a key role in those stats. And if you look at here as those are phenomenal. His exit velocity last year was 91.4, where in league average was 87.5. His hard hit percentage was 50% of balls hit. That is insanely high. League average is 34%. Yeah, like, right, like I mentioned, keeping it up over an entire season, probably not likely. But you think those numbers are crazy. His BIP was even crazier it was 0.402 in 2019 and league average was 298 so (laughs) obviously here I was well above league average and good hitters are typically around 350 range hence Christian Yelich was 355 in 2019 so there's no way as I mentioned here can have a 402 bibip in 2020 that it's just no it's just not possible. We'll just have to kind of see, you know, where that regresses to. What's his mean in that regard? But as I mentioned, him hitting the ball hard should help that. I mean, he's not an insanely, insanely like crazy fly ball hitter. It's actually pretty spread out. 24% of his hits were line drives, 38% ground balls, and then 38 fly balls. And I mean, the league average for fly ball percentage is 35. So yeah, they're slightly above, but when you're hitting the ball hard on a line, that obviously helps contribute to higher bips. Another thing I wanted to focus on was his ISO numbers. Essentially, that's a metric that measures a batter's raw potent- or raw power numbers. So the formula is slugging percentage minus batting average, and the number that it spits out is how many extra bases a player averages per at-bat. So last year here it was at 268. League average was 183. So <laughs> hitting for power is good because, I mean, power hitters, they're going to do what they do, and they tend to stick around in the league more. And when you can do it at a high average, that's that's even better. So obviously last year a big factor in here is success in this metric was he had 19 home runs, 23 doubles, and just over 300 at-bats, which those are, those are crazy good numbers. The downfall for Hira is swing and miss, right? Whiff. If you break down his whiff percentages against specific pitches, it's pretty ugly. 31% whiffs against fastballs, which is, as Brooks Baseball put it, disastrously high. (laughs) Uh, Not funny, but kind of funny that that's how they worded it. And then it gets even worse when you get to breaking pitches, 49% whiff, and then off-speed pitches, 45%. So, I mean, you could look at these numbers and be like, oh, maybe maybe pitchers should just throw breaking balls to Hira, seeing how he whiffs 49% of the time. Yeah, and you could say that, I guess, but keep in mind, when he does hit them, they go a long ways. So, um, you know, obviously, you'd like to see Hira improve a lot in the contact department, at least in terms of when he's swinging. You don't want to see him whiff a whole lot and strike out a whole lot but when he does hit the ball he hits it hard as I mentioned and then another thing is just kind of his his plate discipline I guess you could call it so he struggles the most with pitches high in the zone that's where the the biggest whiffs come in according to his the zone on Brooks baseball and then the his swing and miss his whiffs 
increase again at the lower part of the zone. So, I mean, if pitchers wanted to adjust and attack him, kind of working in that vertical manner, that might be one way to do it. Because if you look at his whiff percentages on inside and outside pitches, he doesn't whiff as much. So it's not horizontal movements or those locations that tend to fool him. It's more of the height and where it's coming in. So I think that'll be interesting to see if how pitchers adjust if they you know if they decide to throw more breaking pitches or or throw higher pitches constantly throwing you know near the eyeballs get him to chase that way um just be kind of interesting to see how pitchers attack him now that they've had a little bit more on him and know a little bit more about him um kind of that league adjusting as i mentioned earlier the other news this week was it was obviously brewers on deck which Super fun for fans. A lot of my reviewing the Brew Compadres went there, got to meet a bunch of players. Super jealous. I almost bought tickets, but then by the time I decided, hey, yeah, I kind of want to go, they were already sold out. So (laughs) lesson learned on that one. So I did not get any autographs. But I think the biggest thing that I learned, you know, out of all the statements Adam McCauley tweeting out things from players and coaches is... Ryan Braun kind of hinted at retirement. It kind of made me sad a little bit. He obviously, in in the video that's posted on Twitter, was talking about his increased sense of urgency in 2020, given it's his last year in a Brewers uniform, guaranteed like contract-wise, and he's you know his family is growing by another number, and you know he kind of left it at that. Someone I think someone asked him, "Was that you hinting at retirement?" And he he didn't rule it out. So. I mean, Braun has had a, a crazy good career. He's been in the league 13 years already and still has still contributes significant moments for the Brewers at age 36. Or 35 would have been last season. He'll be 36 for all this season. And, man, just the thought of him retiring is that's kind of depressing. I mean, he's still chasing some, some milestones. He should hit hit number 2,000 this year. He's 77 hits away from that, so maybe maybe around the halfway point of the season. Should be getting close to that. Still chasing 400 home runs. Not going to happen this year unless he can hit 66 home runs. <laughs> um, so he's going to need, you know, realistically probably three seasons to do that. He had to play up and you know, till 39 years old to get to 400 home runs. And then... Man, his career batting average, it's so close to being above 300. It's at 298, and I think last year, it might have been like 299, if I remember correctly. I know it was right around there, so I would love to see him when he when he decides to hang the cleats up with a career batting average of 300 or higher. That that would be awesome. I think that's your, that's a goal for you, Ryan Braun, and you can't hang it up until that happens. So <laughs> obviously that would mean he's still hitting the ball well, though, then, which which makes it hard to, to give up. Other news out of on deck was Lorenzo Cain's feeling healthy. He talked with Adam McKelvey, and he posted on Twitter that, you know, it took until December for his ankle and knee to start feeling better. Hinted that he might get a precautionary thumb injection before the season starts, which I think is good to know because because he specifically worded it precautionary, that means his thumb is feeling great right now, and it's it's got to be healthy, so... That is good, and you know it's just one of those things where you just don't want it to flare up on you during the season, and then you have to miss games. I guarantee you didn't miss 
I think he might have only one or two games last year from the thumb, but you don't want that nagging injury hanging over you all season long. Corey Knable is expected to get on the mound as early as next week, so thinking the beginning of February. There was not an updated necessarily time frame on when he'll be back contributing at the majors. We obviously know he won't be throwing in spring training. We'll obviously won't be on the opening day roster because he won't be ready yet, but you have to think May, maybe even to the early part of June is when it's looking like he'll come back. Other injury news, Luis Urias is getting his wrist looked at. Sounds like he was experiencing some discomfort right before the postseason started in Mexico for him, and then he got pulled. They yanked him out of that, and this week he will be evaluated in the United States, and we should have more answers on what's going on with him at some point here, and you just have to hope it's nothing serious, right? You'd like to see a healthy Urias and Arcia battling it out on day one of spring training for that shortstop job. Like, that's the competition you want and and you want to see. You Rather than Arcia, you know, if he knows, okay, Urias is going to need time off and won't be ready opening day, then, you know, that kind of lowers the intensity level of, of the starting job, right? Because, you know, heading into the season, we're like, all right, whoever wants it more and is going to earn it, and that's, that's just who's going to play. So... You have to hope he'll be ready to go 100%, um, especially by the time opening day comes around. Other news, late last week, the Brewers added Mike Morin on a minor league deal. So pretty non-significant move, but, eh, you know, it could be good. If you're not familiar with Mike Morin, I do not blame you. (laughs) He hasn't had a lot of good seasons in the MLB and he's 29 years old. His rookie year with the Angels in 2014 was was pretty good. 59 innings, 2-9 ERA, and then after that, just, just kind of lost it, bounced around between a couple teams, ended up pitching for the Phillies last year, uh, Phillies and the Twins, and really put together a pretty good year, all things considered. 50 innings, had an ERA of 4-6-2, yeah, sure not great. And I think the funny part about his numbers is in those 50 innings, he struck out 26 batters. <laughs> so that is ridiculously low. <laughs> and, I mean, you look at his stuff and it makes sense. He's got a low 90s fastball, low to mid 70s changeup, which is by far one of his greater pitches, and can also throw a slider. Obviously, when you have a low 90s fastball, you got to keep hitters off balance. And with a 20-mile-per-hour gap between your fastball and changeup, that's one way to do it. I was watching a video on YouTube of his greatest career changeups, and yeah, he gets some pretty interesting and comical swings from hitters out of there. And the weirdest part that I saw was those pitches, like, they weren't really well-located. A lot of the, the strikeouts I was watching, it was... Oops, I left the changeup hanging, and yeah, sure, it moves down, it drops a little bit, so it's just got to look like, you know, a beach ball coming into those hitters, and they think they can get up there and go attack it, and then it turns out they can't, so um, that will be interesting to watch, you know, even some of his lower, lowerly located changeups were right around the heart of the plate, but you know, when it starts up at your eyes and drops down that low, <laughs> That that's quite a lot of movement, and definitely one way he gets some swing and misses, which 
not what he's known for, but um, just kind of interesting to watch in that regard. Doesn't have like a funky delivery or anything. I was thinking for a low-velocity guy, maybe that was his niche, but eh, not really, no. So pretty low-risk move there by David Stearns. Definitely wasn't adding Pedro Strope, unfortunately. Sounds like Brewers are out on him. Otherwise, I think that will just about do it for me today. I'll be back at some point when there are some Brewer news. If not, then it'll be next Monday. We'll have our weekly podcast out again. But until next time, Brewer fans, I will catch you later. See you.